He is being shown to us as the Savior of all people, sort of like a precursor for Pentecost. Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. We talked about that last week, about this irrational reaction of the Pharisees upon seeing Jesus healing this man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. They're so angry about that that they then go and they hold counsel. They conspire with the Herodians who were enemies of of the Israelites. They conspire with Israelites' enemies to murder a fellow Israelite. So they conspire with the Herodians because they say, this man, he is too dangerous. He needs to be destroyed. Now, verse 7, Jesus withdrew. So there there you see how verse 6 and verse 7 just naturally flow together. Jesus withdrew in verse 7 because of the opposition in verse 6. He withdrew in verse 7 because of the death threat that was now taking form from verse 6. They are conspiring to kill him. And so in response to that, Jesus withdrew and he withdrew not alone, but with his disciples and he withdrew to the sea or the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Tiberias or the Lake uh, Gennesaret. So he withdraws once again to the sea. Now that word withdraw is a strong word. Withdraw is not quite forceful enough for us. It's a word that's often translated flee. So it's not always translated flee and Jesus did not flee from the Pharisees. But that is to say that the the word is stronger than just withdraw. Some of the translations, I think the Amplified Bible, maybe some others will use words that are even weaker, like retire. Jesus didn't retire. He didn't even withdraw. He didn't flee, but instead he left in the face of danger because the word here carries with it a distinct sense of not just leaving, but leaving because there's danger that you need to be removed from. It's the same word that shows up four times in Matthew chapter 2 to describe what Mary and Joseph did with the baby Jesus in the face of King Herod's threats. Okay, So Jesus is leaving and he's leaving because of a danger that has been observed or heard about or known about, a danger against the life of Jesus. He withdraws with his disciple or or he leaves in the face of danger with his disciples to the sea. So here we see Jesus withdrawing to the sea almost like You could almost uh, mistake it for, if you didn't know Jesus better, you could almost mistake it for cowardice. But Jesus isn't playing the coward here, of course. Jesus is the most courageous man to ever live. Jesus instead is making a wise choice, a wise decision to leave Capernaum in the face of the threats against him because it's not yet time for the pot to boil over. You see, I think of of Jesus's ministry kind of like this, kind of like a, a pot of water on a stovetop. And we all know what that's like to put a, put a pot, pot of water on the stovetop and you bring it to boil. And you know what I, what I mean when I say that there is just a, a thin line that separates a nice steady boil from boiling over onto your cooktop. You know what I mean? And you can just reach over to that stove control and you can just make a tiny little adjustment and keep the water at a good rapid boil or just a little bit more, and that pot's going to boil over. Jesus does not want the pot to boil over. Why? Because it is not his time. 
if we think back to Jesus's entering of the holy city, if you think back to, uh, I think it was just this past year when we, when we had that message about Jesus's entering the holy city. And one of the things that we observed was Jesus had to enter the city in preparation for his death on that day. That day was prophesied generations ago. And so Jesus had to enter the city on that day. He had to die in Jerusalem, not Capernaum. And so it is not time for these plots against his life to be brought to fruition. However, Jesus doesn't want the pot to cool. Jesus wants to keep the pot boiling. Why? Because he came here to die. He didn't come here to just spend his life teaching and healing and then grow old. He came to die. So he wants the pot to remain boiling, but he doesn't want it to boil over yet. So he very wisely just sort of turns the temperature down by leaving Capernaum in order to now go down by the sea with his disciples as he withdraws to the sea. So he goes down to the sea and we see here a great crowd followed from Galilee. So now this great crowd, Mark's going to tell us two times, he's going to describe the crowd two times as a great crowd. Verse 7 and again verse 8, a great crowd followed him. So this crowd follows him down to the sea. And as we begin to see the makeup of this crowd, we're going to see a little bit about the context, the situation in which Jesus and the disciples now find themselves. This great crowd followed them from Galilee and Judea. Now verse 8, Mark's going to continue to tell us about where the crowd has come from. Verse 8, the crowd came from Galilee, which they're in Galilee now. So some of the crowd is locals. Also from Judea. Judea is the region of Israel to the south. And then from Jerusalem, of Jerusalem, of course, is in Judea. But then also we see from Idumea. Now, Idumea is a place that is not a, uh, exactly a place of everyday conversation. So we might need to re- just refresh our memories a little bit about what Idumea is. Idumea is the Greek pronunciation for Edomite. So Idumea is just the Greek way of saying Edom or Edomites. So the land of Edom or the land of the Edomites or Idumea At this point, the land of Edom is now south of Judea. So that's a land in which people there are known as Edomites. And if we just remind ourselves a little bit about the history of the Edomites, the Edomites are descendants of Esau, and they are living in this land called uh, Edom, or the land of the Edomites, or Idumea. Now, the Edomites were the people in, in Romans chapter, I'm sorry, Numbers chapter 20, they would not allow Israel to pass through. So there was that conflict between Israel and Edom. And since that time, there's been bad blood between the Edomites and the Israelites. Now, the Edomites were not Jews, but during the Maccabean period, the period between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, during the Maccabean period, the Jews forced the Edomites to submit to Jewish reign and Jewish law. So they, they forced them to submit to the Jewish laws, even though they weren't Jewish. So this created really a culture of people that were sort of quasi-Jewish. They weren't Jewish, but they were not Gentile either. They were somewhere in between. And so you see now why it is that these were not very much uh, favored or very much liked. So Idumea was a place, it was the hometown, it was the home area of King Herod. King Herod was an Edomite or an Idumean, which also shows us why it is that King Herod was chosen to be this puppet king of Rome. Because being sort of this quasi-Jew meant that he could have 
Maybe some connection to the Jewish people, but not too much. He was the perfect puppet king for the Roman Empire. He was hated by the Jewish people because he was an Edomite. He wasn't a Jew, but he was sort of, in a sense, kind of, sort of Jew. So these were the Idumeans. Now, this was the hometown, the homeland of, of King Herod, not very much liked. We saw the conspiracy with the Herodians who were the supporters of King Herod just a moment ago. But now we see these Idumeans who are coming because they are part of the crowd that's flocking to Jesus, which tells us a great deal because they're not Jewish. They're not exactly Gentile either, but they're not Jewish. And they are traveling 120 miles. Idumea is 120 miles from Capernaum. So just think for just a moment about what a journey of 120 miles would have meant to people at this time. To hear of a teacher, to hear of a healer 120 miles away and to travel that distance tells us that this is quite a draw of people that Jesus is now drawing to him. So they come from Idumea and also from beyond the Jordan. Now beyond the Jordan is sort of a phrase, an idiomatic phrase that really means something like the rest of the world. Beyond the Jordan, technically it was called Perea on the east side of the Jordan, but it really, in a, in a way of speaking, just means from the rest of the world. So these would have been Gentile people coming from the other side of the Jordan and we're told from around Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon are to the north and to the west, and those are both Gentile areas, dominantly Gentile. So here we have a makeup of Galilean Jews, of Judean Jews, we have Idumeans from south of Judah. We have Gentiles from across the Jordan and we have Gentiles from Tyre and Sidon. So this is sort of like a picture for us of Jesus being shown to us as the Messiah of all people, the Savior of all nations, as he is now drawing to him people that are far beyond the borders of Israel right now. He is being shown to us as the Savior of all people, sort of like a precursor for Pentecost, the day of Pentecost when people from all nations are there in Jerusalem and the Spirit is given and the church is born. This is sort of like a, a precursor to this. It reminds us of what God the Father says in Isaiah 49 and verse 6 when He says of His, his, of his Son, He says, It's too light of a thing that you should be My servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob or Israel only. But instead, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So here we see Christ is now drawing to him people literally from the ends of the earth, we're told. And now verse nine, and they came to him. They heard, I'm sorry, verse eight, when the, when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. So they hear of him. They hear word of what he's doing and they make this journey to him. So here we also see a people hearing of Jesus and responding and coming to him. Now the passage is going to show us that they are hearing of his miracle working, of his healing, and that's primarily why they're coming. But at the same time, we also know that they need to hear of Jesus and to respond to what they've heard. So here are people responding to the news that they've heard about him and they're coming to him. Now verse nine, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. So Mark here describes the crowd in some rather forceful ways. First, first of all, Jesus is concerned that the crowd may crush him. And so to prevent this crushing or this trampling by the crowd, Jesus says, I need a boat. Give me a boat. Have a boat handy so that just in case I need to use this to escape, I can use this to escape. Which, by the way, let me just give you this one little side note right here because I love it when 
we come across these little nuggets of authenticity, these little things in the gospel that just show us we are looking at the authentic records of Jesus Christ because we know that Mark's gospel is the only of the synoptic gospels that's written by a fisherman. Mark is writing down the stories of Peter, who's a fisherman. And isn't this a detail that a fisherman would remember? Because none of the other gospels give us this detail, only Mark. And isn't this, doesn't this just fit the pattern of what a fisherman would remember how Jesus called for a boat? In fact, it's, it's in the diminutive. If we want to translate it very literally, we'd call it a boatette, just a, a small boat, like a little, maybe like a little rowboat or something like that, maybe a 12 or 15 or 16 foot boat, something like that. So Jesus says, have this boat ready for me in case I need to escape to it. And then Mark goes on to say, because all these crowds they've heard and he's come and he's healed many. We should understand that to mean that, that Jesus has healed everybody that's come to him. And the number of people that have come to him are many. So many came and all who came were healed. And he says, lest they crush him, verse 10, for he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him, pressed around him to touch him. So this is now quite a different picture from the great night of healing in Capernaum on the night of uh, Jesus' teaching in the synagogue. Remember that back in chapter one. This is quite a different picture because Jesus is now being thronged by the crowd. Mark, uh, our translation says that they pressed upon him, but literally that word means that they were continually falling upon him. So the image that we have here is of Jesus being at the center of a crowd and the crowd, you know how crowds can be when they tend to get out of control maybe. And there's people at the back of the crowd that are pressing forward to get in and the people at the front are now being squished and, and pressed against where they didn't want to be pressed against. And so this, we, we know how mob mentality works. And this is a, a picture that is bordering on something like mob mentality. This is not, you, you should remove from your mental picture what we are sometimes shown in the Sunday school book coloring pages and different things of this little nice little scene where here's Jesus and there's some people around him. He's healing people and, and maybe he's sitting on a rock or something like that and everybody's nice and calm. You should remove that from your thinking because this is something more akin to a mob. Jesus is being flocked. He's being thronged. In fact, chapter 3, verse 20, we're going to see this again, that the crowds are thronging upon him to such a degree that we're told that he and his disciples cannot even eat. That is an intrusive crowd when you are unable to even pause long enough to eat. That is an incredibly intrusive uh, crowd. We are told again in chapter 5 of the crowd and the size and the forcefulness of the crowd. We read that he went with them and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And this is painting for us again this picture of something like when when Jesus, in other words, when he calls for the boat for his possible safety, when he calls for that boat, Jesus didn't turn and whisper into one of his disciples' ear. He had to shout because this is loud. This is chaotic. This is disorganized. This is a throng of, of humanity. This, this is a lot of people in close quarters because a lot of people have heard of his healing and they are thronging about him. They are literally pressing against him, 
falling upon him in such a way that Jesus will say, I might need a way of escape to get out of here because we can all imagine a crowd such as this. What happens if perhaps the crowd pushes you over and you fall? That's a dangerous situation in a crowd like this. Somebody falls or somebody uh, loses their footing. And so Jesus says, for safety reasons, I, I need to have this boat to stand by. So these people are coming and we're told that they're coming because he's healed so many people and they've heard of what he's doing. So they're coming for the healing. They're not coming for the teaching. Now, we shouldn't be too sanctified about that. We shouldn't be too holier than thou about that and say, well, they should be coming to hear Jesus's teaching and not just to get healed. Instead, we should hear that with ears of grace and with ears of understanding to know in our hearts to say this. I know exactly how they feel. I mean, if, if you have a disease, if, if you have a deformity, if you have an injury, if you have an ailment, and you hear of someone healing everyone, everyone who comes to him, for you too and for me too, that would be the most important thing to you. You too would come to Jesus and forefront in your mind would be that he would touch you and he would heal you too. And this is... This is where the crowd is. This is what is driving the crowd. This is precisely what Jesus wanted to avoid when he cleansed the leper and said, under no circumstances, tell people about this because Jesus knew this would happen. So people, thousands of people, thousands of people have heard and they have made sometimes short journeys, sometimes journeys of over 100 miles to come here in order to experience this healing from Jesus. 